welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I am eager to get our bills paid. Yes, indeed. So we are going to lead with uh, our sponsors because of the nature of the conversation we're about to have. And we don't <laughs> feel like they probably don't want to be mentioned <laughs> smack in the middle of it. Okay, so first off, this episode is brought to you by the film Woe, W-O-E, uh, which, is, uh, which has a running Indiegogo funding campaign. Woe tells the story of Grace, an elderly woman struggling with the loneliness of old age. She attempts to fill her days by keeping busy with household tasks, but dreams of being young again. Now she believes she's found her outlet in her granddaughter, Sophia, who is a young and beautiful high school girl, everything that Grace once was. It's a film about how often the people closest to us can go completely unnoticed. Now, the budget of the film is only $2,500, so every little bit helps. There's uh, a few weeks left, so you have plenty of time, uh, and I would say just... So here's the deal. One thing that I did want to mention about this, one of the reasons I'm excited about this project... um, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of like past Kickstarter Indiegogo campaigns that have sponsored the show tend to be genre based, which is fine. You know, I have nothing with. There's nothing wrong with genre, but I do like when filmmakers want to embark on something like this, which sounds very small. It sounds intimate. It sounds dramatic and very human and relatable. Um, you know, as much as I love, I was a teenage wear skunk and I do yeah, tremendously. Uh, I do, I do feel like there should, in an, in an, you know, in indie film world, I feel like there needs to be room for movies like this as well. So I would highly recommend, uh, and encourage you to contribute to their Indiegogo campaign. Uh, you can click on the ad at battleshippretension.com to help fund. Whoa. All right, this episode is also brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30, 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Now... As part of Mubi's summer concert series, they are showing Penelope Spheris' Decline of Western Civilization trilogy, which follows the evolution of punk through the 70s and 80s. Now, I have not seen any of these films. You've seen the first one. The first one, which is the, yeah, the, the one that is specifically about the early 80s uh, right. uh, Los Angeles hardcore punk scene, which is a topic of much interest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a, a, a fascinating depiction of a very specific time and place and, and culture. And it's also, if you are someone like me who grew up idolizing some of these bands, it's a good wake up call <laughs> to the fact that like, wow, these were idiotic, yeah. like 19, 20 year olds. Yeah. Um, and some of the worldview of this, uh, some of the nihilistic worldview um, uh, uh, of this stuff is really unhealthy. Hmm. And um, it is definitely not um, glorifying uh, these bands while it is, even though it is preserving all the power of their music and the performance and that scene at that time. uh, It's a really, really terrific movie. And that's just the first one. The second one I noticed is called the metal years, which I have to assume is going to be a great deal of fun because you're a big, you're a big metal guy too. Yeah. um, I'm not as much into like the, the eighties, like sunset strip, metal stuff. Uh, I like some of it, but yeah. So, and then I don't remember what part three is, but yes, it covers just this important period in, in 
this type of alternative, not a, alternative became an actual genre eventually, but just music. And then it went away. And then it went away, which I think is a win. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a very interesting portrait. And so all three of those are available at Mubi right now. Uh, and there is also a special offer for you listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Speaking of redeeming things at websites, uh, if you go to tweakedaudio.com, which is where it's your home for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors, uh, if, if you go there uh, and you're, uh, we will no doubt be impressed by their selection and the colors and styles, and uh, you'll also be impressed by the low, low, low price. But if you see the thing all the way through, get to check out, and you put in the offer code pretension, you'll get one third off that already low, 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 low price and no shipping charges. So remember to go to tweakedaudio.com, offer code pretension. So, all right, here, are, here we are. Here's what happened. Um, <laughs> Odd way of jumping into it, but yeah. Well, you and I did, with Kyle, uh, did an episode on Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. less than a day after the uh, shootings in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And we, um, we didn't mention it all until the end. Um, and that's kind of where my head was for a couple of days, to the point where I was starting to get down on myself for not, I was appalled at what had happened. Sure. But I started to worry that I was numb or that I had become Mm. desensitized. And uh, it's probably true. A part of me probably uh, has because so many of these things have been in the news um, uh, in, in recent years, um, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, I started to, worry about myself and my reaction because I was seeing people around me on social media and even my wife, you know, uh, um, crying immensely and I was not having it. And then I get, I guess I just needed to sink in in some way or I needed to get through the initial defense mechanism or whatever it was right. because, um, Tuesday morning I was walking my dog and listening to a podcast about baseball <laughs> And, um, my mind wandered and suddenly I was glad that I was on my way home from the dog walking because I just like lost it. I started crying, um, walking on the sidewalk, uh, toward home. And that was when I got home and texted you. I don't know what topic we should do, but this week's episode needs to be something serious and something that is, um, dedicated to or in tribute to the, uh, the people who lost their lives in their, their families and the people who were wounded, uh, in Orlando. And so, um, I gave you a couple ideas. You gave me a couple of ideas for topics. The more I thought about it, I liked one of my initial ideas. I talked you into it. Yeah. Um, by essentially assuring you that it wouldn't be what it sounded like it was going to sure. be. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we're going to, going to talk about, but we'll, we'll put that off for now and feel free to jump in at any point. Yeah. Um, Tyler, um, but what I want to say is that we're, we're going to get to a topic and we're going to make it about movies. Don't worry. We're still a movie podcast. Um, and I don't want to give the impression 
I very strongly don't want to give the impression that we are boiling this event down to this topic. Right. We're going to talk about guns, but this is not only about guns, nor is it only about uh, terror or ISIS or homophobia or any of these other things. It's, yeah. it's all of these things. One could go so far as to say it's about the human condition, but that sounds too broad. It's right. It's something that it, it's something that encompasses all of these things. And to briefly go into my own response, um, you feel you were worried that you were feeling numb. Mm-hmm. I jumped to anger almost immediately mm-hmm. and not anger over the, you know, don't get me wrong. A lot of people jump to anger, but it becomes a very focused anger that usually tends to line up with people's politics, which is, you know, that'll happen. People have, people hold certain political beliefs because of certain philosophical beliefs. So it's only a matter of time before you wind up there, but it, it winds up there very quickly. Usually takes a while to get there for me, but I just, I guess you could say I respond with what can only be described as uh, impotent rage. This feeling of like, why isn't something being done about this? And I don't mean on a policy level. I mean in a universal level. I am somebody who believes in God. I am somebody who believes that God means well, (laughs) for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the question then becomes, why do you allow this to happen? Now, I know any number of theological ideas as to why. Uh, I know the official party line. which is almost purely intellectual, which is fine. And, and that is good enough. That's good enough for me. Is it after as, the fact, as Ralph Richardson says in time bandits, it's something to do with free will, something to do with free will. It's something like that. Yeah. Yes. Although only slightly more in depth. Um, no, uh, emotionally in that moment, I just rage and I don't really mourn and I haven't mourned these things these shootings in a while. And that makes me very sad. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, an odd thing. I had friends at Columbine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, I don't know if you ever talked about that. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they were okay, but afterwards they, you know, t- I remember I was living in Missouri at the time, but I was in high school. And when I saw this happening, I was just like, I, I was rehearsing a play but there are TVs in every room. And so I turned on the TV just to find out like, uh, what's going on here. I called some friends of mine and they said, yeah, these are the people that we know that, uh, cause I didn't go to that school, but the people, some people that I went to church with went to that school. Right. So I called other people and said, okay, so who all goes here? And they said this person, I was like, oh wow. Okay. I, I am close with these people. And then talking to them later and hearing their stories is very harrowing. You know, um, because I think that's usually when the morning kicks in for me is when I hear about it on a human level. And on Facebook, this thing was this thing was shared where a guy was uh, hiding in the bathroom and was texting his mom Mm -hmm. um, about the situation and was saying, like, he's coming in. And then the last thing he texts is I'm going to die. And I mean, it's it's getting me now. Yeah. There's something about that that just, well, something about it. I think the thing itself uh, just gets me. And I think that I personally, and I'm sorry to make this as navel-gazing as it is, but uh, I personally get frustrated with myself, not for being numb, but for jumping to rage immediately. 
there's room for rage. Don't get me wrong. But I think first needs to come a certain degree of sadness. And then the rage comes in and the anger comes in and the frustration comes in. But I think first a real mourning period. And I think, and I definitely don't think I'm alone in the rage thing. That's why these things turn political. And again, I understand why, but so fast, not within a few days, within an hour of people hearing about this. Yeah. I mean, again, it's understandable. Not only is it understandable, but I mean, the, it doesn't, I, I, I would argue that it doesn't even turn political because it is political. Sure. The, sure. The motivations are, uh, there are political ideologies motivating, yeah. um, this person and social ideologies motivating this person. And also because guns uh, are a political issue. Yeah. The, um, the fact of his, uh, being able to, to purchase a gun, uh, especially this, you know, what, whatever, like, uh, high capacity semi-automatic sure. uh, gun legally, that's a political issue. And so I, yeah. I kind of don't, I don't blame people for, for going that route because it, this is it, as much as, like I was saying, it's not just one thing as much as yeah. this is a tragic human event. It also is a political in- event that happened. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's any, anything wrong, but of course I also, one of my great, if I have any major political philosophy, it's that, um, we should stop yelling at each other sure. and blaming each other. Um, even if there is blame, this is, and this is something that is part of the way I operate, even just at my job, if something yeah. goes wrong, yes, someone's to blame, but blaming someone isn't going to get this fixed. Yeah. So let's work on being proactive, um, which is kind of where I'm coming. Uh, I, I don't want to, like I said, we don't want to get into policy, but I do kind of want to address that. I know I've talked about guns on the podcast before, yes. and then I know I am not, um, as uh, I, I am not at the same place uh, traditionally on guns as most of my liberal brethren, but yeah. I do find myself changing. Sure. Because uh, at some point the, I, the idealist in me um, who is still uneasy at the idea of uh, an American individual having to rely 100% on um the police force or whatever for their own protection. Yeah. Like that, that makes me very queasy to think about. Um, and so I don't think that, um, taking all the guns away, as people say, is the, the yeah. is the answer. And I think actually n- not that many people actually do feel that way. Right. Uh, there's some very vocal people, but, um, I do think that the second amendment could be further amended mm-hmm. maybe to, um, to, to, uh, support where, um, the American public seems to be at in a lot of ways on this issue in terms of, um, certain people, uh, not being able to get guns or at least making it a whole lot harder than it is. Sure. Um, uh, so I definitely see myself veering more toward the gun control advocates. Um, because, uh, at some point, I mean, these shootings like, I'm very careful with my words. Mm-hmm. You'll notice before I said, what did I say? High capacity semi-automatic sure. rifle. I don't say assault rifle because I don't, I've never been a hundred percent sure what that means. Right. And I feel like sometimes it's a rhetorical tool. Yeah. Um, that term. So I try to avoid it. Um, 
just like I don't think we have yet used the word mass shooting right. because it's a very difficult term that gets thrown around a lot and does not have an official definition. There are right. There are groupings of definitions. I looked this up today. Okay. To be clear. Um, maybe the most common definition of mass shooting is four or more people killed in public, not counting the shooter. Right. Then there's four or more people injured in public, not counting the shooter. And then there are four or more people not in, in public or not in public, which actually opens up a whole other issue that we're not even really going to address today, which is how often guns are used in domestic violence and how right. um, disproportionately women are, um, can be victims of gun violence in America. Uh, I think what's the every town for what's the group every town for gun control. I think oh, was gosh, the, the name know. of the group uh, had a statistic that uh, an American woman is 11 times more likely to be killed by a gun than a woman in other developed countries. It's very strange. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what I want to get into uh, once we get into the, the the topic today. But I feel like I've I've gone far afield from where I what I was saying is that um, my my position is uh, evolving on this, and it is out of a great sadness and desperation and a, a desperate pleading desire not to have this continue to happen to my fellow Americans. Um. Yeah, real quick, I do want to backtrack just a bit and say that uh, I agree with you that these things are inherently political. So I don't want to make it sound like by jumping to that, that people are misguided. I think what gets me is I like the idea because we are dealing with with direct victims, which is to say there's still things that need, there are still things that need to be handled about the situation. Now there's still, you know, people that need to be taken care of medically. There are still bills to be paid. There are still like, there are things that need to be taken care of as a function of like the fallout of this. Once this is taken care of from every logistical uh, standpoint, then I think we can move on to how do we keep this from happening again? But I think it jumps to that first, and I think the victims just become. I do appreciate that they like release, like they release names of victims, they release faces of victims. They, yeah, they really try. They really put. I, I think, say, I, they, um, I guess, I mean the media. I don't like to put it. The Anderson terms, Cooper but, read the names, which uh, yeah. that clip has been shared a lot. I have not watched it because yeah. I know that wherever I am, I will completely sure. fall apart if I uh, if I sure. watch that. But um, I've read a lot of the names. Um. um that does, there's something, I'm not sure how to fit this into the conversation, but something, I guess a, a ray of light here um, is, and I'm going to get emotional about this. Um, I've seen a lot of documentaries about um, the AIDS crisis, especially in the 80s mm. and into the 90s. This is um, a topic that for some reason uh, is very important to me, even though I've never... Um, known anyone uh, <laughs> affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, w- I think that one of the blackest marks on America's past is how so much of the AIDS crisis was ignored at the time when it was new. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because it was just happening to gay people mostly right. at the time. Um, and I have been very, uh, it, it's, it's, 
it's been heartening to see the the out the support um from the american mainstream mm-hmm. to not say because most of the victims were gay and this was a gay nightclub to not put it in that box you know and yeah. the um i forget the name of the orlando paper is that the sentinel i wanted to say the sentinel yeah. um but their um headline the next day was our community will will heal oh man and so that description of them is our community because yeah. the city of orlando not exactly a you know um what a not exactly a blue territory necessarily, no. or a, I guess that's it's a major city, so it's probably got a good mix. But that for the gay community to be part of our community yeah. um, in that symbolic way was uh, something I found very touching. Yeah, and oh boy, it's very difficult for me to not mention. I'm not going to get emotional. I might get angry. <laughs> so that's the. I guess that's an emotion. Um, yeah, it's difficult for me to address this without getting into the politics of it because you know, being a Republican, although I am a I'm pro gay marriage, um, you know, I, I've been able to witness a lot of the reaction to Republicans who talk about who who express sympathy and that kind of thing. Um, now, and people say like, ah, you're to blame. Now, if they say that from a gun standpoint. Even if I don't agree, I get it. But in the same way Anderson Cooper was talking to, I think, the attorney general of Florida. Okay. And was, like, really grilling her on her, like, anti-gay stances, especially from a standpoint of, like, gay marriage. And, yeah, that's not the same. as And basically making it sound like she is partially to blame for creating a general tone of anti-gay that obviously allows them to be slaughtered. And the thing that gets me is just like, you can disapprove of somebody, you can disapprove of a lot of, uh, and not of somebody, but of like their actions and not wish them to be horribly murdered. (laughs) And it bothers me that people cannot make that distinction. And so like when Marco Rubio, who, yeah, who is, who's anti-gay marriage. So I don't agree with him on that, but like he's a Florida Senator this is his community. Mm-hmm. And when he comes out and says something, the first thing the first thing people say, again, if they say it as a function of gun control, I actually get it more. But if they say it as a function of this other thing, well, well clearly, like how, how much could you be mourning them? It's like, you can still mourn them tremendously. There are people in my life, close friends and acquaintances, that I don't agree with on a lot of things, and I recognize I it's different, that if they were to die uh i would be you know i'd be like well i they're making some bad life choices i'm not uh you know and i see i do see what you're saying and i actually uh on the one hand i think that um actually kind of that separation between um one thing and another action is tying into what we're eventually going to talk about here eventually but i also don't entirely agree with you because I think um, when you're talking about something as basic and human um, and universal as marriage, to deny that to a person doesn't seem as far from hatred as I think you see it as. And okay, and this is where, oddly enough, the Christian part of me kicks in because I was going to say, is hatred murder? 
now, according to Jesus, it is. <laughs> okay, well, um, there you go. I'm on with so, Jesus on this so one. There's <laughs> um, I'll, be, I'll be over here in Jesus camps. So, um, but not at Jesus camp. No, that's a very different place. Um, and, the, and I think that's the, I know it sounds weird, but like, even if somebody actually says, I hate these people. I think that there is a difference between they deserve to die and I hate them. I see what you're saying because I, I mean, I guess it's inherently dehumanizing. I don't think that, um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess when I'm trying to think because I can't defend when people talk about the, Anger stirred up by Donald Trump. Yes. I can't be in the position of defending Donald Trump, but I also kind of am enough of a, I guess, uh, I don't know if this makes me a libertarian or individualist or whatever mm-hmm. to say that people are still responsible for their own actions at the, at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, I, so I guess I can find some common ground with you there. Um, but I can't, I'm not going to waste a lot of my breath or energy defending people who are uh, against basic rights, basic equality and rights uh, for gay people. Well, and so here's, this is not a perfect analogy, but I was talking with somebody uh, on Twitter about this uh, and they were making this connection. And, and I said, well, very few, like Richard Dawkins is very open about feeling that religion is the most destructive force in history and that it is responsible for millions of people dying. So, I mean, he is very open about that and that eventually humanity is going to need to get past religion. Now, if somebody came into a church and just slaughtered a bunch of people with an AR-15? AR yeah, that's what it is. Uh, and then Richard Dawkins said, I feel very sad for this. And people said, you said that these people are worshiping a God that you think is responsible in one way or another for the, for like humanity's worst ills. Like, how can you be sad that they're gone? You know, like you clearly hate these people and what they represent. How can you possibly express sympathy for their death? Yeah, and, I'm not over here defending Richard Dawkins. No, either, I recognize that. I'm an atheist, but I don't feel that way. But that's the thing is like, and I'm not saying atheist. I mean, like this guy has come out very staunchly against this belief system, this behavior, whatever it is. And if he said, I feel horrible about what happened, I don't know why anybody would be seeking Richard Dawkins' uh, opinion on this, but um, it'd be very, it's, a, it's like literally everybody else is busy. Um but if that happened, I as a Christian would not, my first instinct would not be, he, well, he's being insincere. He doesn't actually feel sad for their death. I, I recognize that what he is saying and his belief that humanity needs to move past religion, uh, one could say evolve past religion, one could say get rid of religion, that's not the same as we should kill religious people and he's on board with that. Like, I can acknowledge that. And well, I am not with my, uh, I guess I'm getting, I guess I'm fairly libertarian myself. Mm-hmm. Um, while I cannot get on board with my fellow Republicans about gay marriage, I do recognize that it's a, it is, I think there is a long 
there's a lot of land between I don't think these people should get married for certain reasons and uh, I am not sad to see them destroyed. I I will agree with you on that. that, okay. that yeah, there's a lot of philosophical difference there. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. And I'm sure. I'm sure I, I've probably pissed somebody off in saying that. Sorry. That's that's fine. People are pissed off right now, and they have a right to be. That's true. Um, so let's get back to uh, the topic and get into uh, the movie topic we actually want to talk about. Um, <sighs> okay. I'm already I, exhausted. I have to yeah. get back to the mass shooting thing and um, whatever the definition of mass shooting. Um whether whatever counts as mass shooting, there have been a ton of them to the point mm-hmm. where I looked up the list of like the 25 biggest ones. Um, since, um, the New York times has an ongoing list of the 25, um, deadliest shootings, uh, 25 most recent deadliest shootings. And there are ones less than a year ago that I like had forgotten about. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I read somewhere that, in his presidency, President Obama has had has released a statement more than twenty times in his administration yeah. um, in the aftermath of uh, uh, of a shooting. So, whatever you're calling them, however you're defining mass shooting, um, it's clearly something that is happening a lot lately, yeah. and it is also something that is happening a lot in America. Yeah. Uh, I like to back up my research. So, a criminologist named Lankford did a study earlier this year. Um, and I don't know how he's defining mass shootings, but we can assume he's defining them the same in America as he is elsewhere. Mm. And despite having 5% of the world's population, 31% of mass shootings um, take place in America. Mm. Um, and that's, there's something going on yeah. with us that I think is beyond just access to guns. I think that that is something that needs to be addressed. Um, but there is something in our cultural psyche um that I, 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 that is v- very attached to guns and gun violence. And here's what we get into. Let's get into it. Shall we? Indeed. Movies, uh, are violent. A lot of them are violent. Mm-hmm. Um, a surprising number when you think about how many movies have guns in them, if you watch, I would like, I would love to do a project of just for a year tracking guns that show up in movies because Movies that you don't even think have guns in them yeah. have guns in them. Like, uh, you know, Carol last year is a movie that had a gun in it. Yeah. It didn't seem like a gun type movie, but uh, guns are everywhere in our popular culture. And um, this is coming from the point of view, me personally, the point of view of someone who likes violent movies and who likes action movies. Yeah. And who, as you mentioned earlier, I am a fan of heavy metal music and a lot of that yeah. the imagery of bands like uh, Autopsy or Cattle Decapitation or these bands that I listen to is like just reveling in gore and violence yeah. in their lyrical imagery. And I enjoy that kind of stuff. I enjoy that kind of uh, darkness or the exhilaration or that um, that. I don't know what it is that that sort of psychological brushing up against death is something that, um, but now maybe I'm getting into diagnosing, uh, the country or maybe myself a little more than I, something that's something I wanted to do later in the episode. Yeah. Um, what I, I, what I want to talk about is why do we like violent movies so much yeah. from the point of view of people who do like violent movies? 
Uh, and you mean in America or in general? Because a lot I, of these movies are popular worldwide. Uh, but yeah, they that's are made true. here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I'm I am thinking in, of, about America, but it doesn't. That doesn't mean I'm excusing the rest of the world. Right. But I do want to, yeah, focus on America. Yeah. So, uh, short answer: I don't know. Uh, that is also the long answer. Um, <laughs> no, uh, we. I think between the two of us, we can probably work this out, right? Um, the thing that I will say is that uh, yes, I'm in general when it comes to guns, I am deeply uncomfortable with them. I fired one in my life; it was a twelve gauge. Wow. which is probably not a good starter gun. <laughs> uh, I, I've never had a, fired a gun. I had a bruised shoulder for like a week after. And in that, and honestly, in that moment, okay, so I'll, I'll say this, and I'm, I don't know if I'm officially allowed to. Um, in my family, guns were used for two things, hunting and committing suicide. There's, okay. a, there's a lot of suicide in my family by gun. And that is a very creepy realization to me and so it's one of the reasons i don't i got one that i know of in my family one suicide yeah one suicide yeah one suicide and one suicide by gun oh, okay uh yeah we've got one every generation uh so it's my turn it's me and so me and my brother we just got to hold out and we're gonna be okay we break this streak um but that's the thing is uh you know i'm somebody who's prone to depression i have had my own i've had my share of suicidal thoughts and while i don't think i would ever uh, carry it out there is something to be said about like guns do make it really easy to do it and as I was even yeah, holding, that's, that's why I never want to be like on top of tall buildings or cliffs. Cause Ugh. it's like, what if that's the moment? Yeah. What if that's where I happen to be the moment that I decide yeah. to go through with this thing? Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, it's too late now. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I have that thought all the time. And, um, and so, uh, anyway, um, so I'm very uncomfortable around them. And so even when I was holding that 12 gauge, I was, uh, I had this thought of like, I could just, like I was just shooting like clay pigeons and stuff. Um, sorry, I was missing clay pigeons <laughs> and, uh, and hurting my shoulder. Uh, but the, per- the person I was with, I literally had this thought and it's of course horrible where I thought the thought that I would have had to, it's like, I know where you're going. I can just wheel around and kill this person right now. Yeah. And I was like, the only thing stopping me is my decision not to do it. Now that is indeed a big thing. That is what decides everything we do. In fact, uh, our decisions, but at the same time, like that amount of power was terrifying to me, but that's what it comes down to is uh, that's one of the many things I don't want to, I don't want to simplify this issue at all. Power, power is a big thing because we, it's not just, it'd be one thing if all the people who had guns in movies are, the bad guys. Yeah. That's what happened on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Only bad guys ever had guns on the show. Um, But we see our heroes as being empowered when they have, when they have guns. That's why movie posters um, uh, have, they all have guns on them to the point where I remember uh, the poster for the born identity mm-hmm. took a shot from the movie where he doesn't have a gun yeah. and like photoshopped a gun into his hand <laughs> for the movie poster. Yeah. Um, like that's, it's a sign of this person's in charge. Like this person yeah. is, uh, has agency and is going to get shit done, uh, because they have a gun agency. That is a great word to use because 
guns give this character the ability to do things that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. That actually is a much better way of saying my over going into this, my oversimplification about like the general, not always obviously, but the general Hollywood attitudes uh, towards guns is that they fix everything. Yeah. Now they might cause a lot of problems, but don't you worry you can use guns to then fix those problems. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy, a, a madman is running around uh, killing people with guns. How will we stop him? Oh, I think I know. Let's use another gun. And that's, um, and and that's and, where I get into the idea of, I think, I like to think that people are smart. Um, yeah. I know that it's not, um, uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to betray my liberal brethren, but it's not a popular liberal point of view to think that other people are smart. <laughs> um, but um, I like to think that, like me, people are able to differentiate between the fantasy of a John Wick. Um, right. Which we'll, we're going to talk more about John Wick. Okay. It's a, you still haven't seen about, it, right? And uh, I have not. Jack Reacher, he uses guns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, it's a big gun movie, that yeah. one. Um and that, I mean, that's almost exactly what we're talking about. The, yeah. the movie starts, the horror is set off by a character who is a, is really good at shooting yeah. a gun and shoots a bunch of innocent people. Yeah. Um, Charles Whitman style mass shooting. Jack Reacher starts off with a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything is fixed by another guy uh, who's really good at guns. And he gets his uh, friend, Robert Duvall, who's older, yeah. but also really good with guns. Yeah. And together, oh, age doesn't matter when you have a gun. And, yeah. I, like literally it um, is an equalizer, but I like to think that people are smart enough to know that this is a fantasy and to know that this is separate from the real world and Mm -hmm. that I can watch John wick and say, yeah, if someone kills your dog, you might feel like you want to murder 80 people because of it, because that, that in the abstract is a perfectly uh, expected reaction um, to feel that way, not to actually do it. And the movies give us a place to, live out that yeah and in theory get rid of that or have a safe place for it but then i hear people say um there's a thing that really upsets me uh that some gun advocates say that i'm sure you've heard okay which is um because it's 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 gross and irresponsible and also pithy and so i hate it but it's the uh uh, how does it phrase like the, the only solution to a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Okay. Something like that. Yes. And that to me sounds like, you know, that movies aren't real, right? Like whenever I hear that, I'm like, what are you a four year old? Like that's not how things actually go down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the good guy isn't going to like do a barrel roll across the floor and take out the shooter and save everyone. Like that doesn't happen in real life. But the fact that, there are no People. doves that are going to come up into the air <laughs> yeah. as you ha- fire two guns at the bad guy. Exactly. Uh, and the fact that there are people who feel that way makes me feel like maybe I'm overestimating people. Maybe there really are people who are that stupid. Okay. Okay. You know what? I think we're, we're getting into a good, a good space here because, um, and this is going to require, this is going to be like a weird melding of actual American history and uh, as depicted by movies. Uh-huh. It is worth noting that the head of the NRA for a while was Charlton Heston. It seems somehow appropriate 
Because if you want to look at like the major events of American history, like America did not, uh, uh, the United States of America did not exist before guns. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there was not a time when it was all sword fights. Um, right. And so that's interesting. Like, so I remember something that bothered the hell out of me uh, when I saw Bowling for Columbine is that Michael Moore was talking with Charlton Heston and was saying, and Heston said like, well, you know, our history is very much, uh, is a very violent history. And, and Michael Moore said, well, yeah, but are you saying that like Germany doesn't have a violent history? And he's kind of making a joke. And my first thought was, well, obviously Germany has a very violent history, but ours was a history in which guns liberated us. And then when it came time for the, uh, when it came time for the country to split, guns kept us together. And then uh, when it came time to, yes, murder a bunch of uh, Native Americans and expand, guns made that happen. Like, and so when you think, I'm, I'm thinking of this because you said good guy versus bad guy. One could say white hat, black hat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very Western thing. And, I, and even though I don't associate uh, Charlton Heston with Westerns, uh, he is very much a throwback to a certain type of actor and a certain type of uh, man as far as his image. Yeah, yeah. And it's the guy who is, who he's always a good guy. He's got the white hat. And yes, and he will use the gun to bring justice. He will use the gun to end tyranny. It could be the tyranny of the British. It could be the tyranny of uh, a guy who has control over a town in the West. Uh, it could be any number of things. And so I think just it's, it's linked with this is how we have moved forward in this country. This is, and then plenty of movies, especially Westerns, which is a uniquely American genre, uh, I think perpetuate that I think my, my really rifle, my pony and me, those are the three things I need, you know? Yeah. I think that's, a. uh, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that because I had often thought about that from the Michael Moore point of view that, that, you know, most countries in yeah. this world have a violent history. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Our country was born not just in violence and bloodshed, but in gun violence. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure. And I feel like that was a bit meandering, but I do, th- but that's the thing is like, no, because I, you're getting me to like movies have been around for a while at this point or a while too. Like movies are fairly new. America is fairly new and guns have been around for as long as either of those two things. And it just seems like it's, it makes for as fun as a sword fight can be. You know, a gun, there is something very cinematic. You're literally pointing it at the thing you want to die, as Homer Simpson would say. Uh, it makes a loud noise, and then the person you're pointing it at falls down. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's... Uh, oh, there's a couple directions I could go right now, okay. but I, it's worth pointing, pointing out one of the earliest famous silent films, um, yeah. The Great Train Robbery. Uh, features a gun being pointed pointed directly at the audience, mm-hmm. and I think um, that's something that I kind of mentioned before when I was talking more about myself. Um, but there is, and I don't think this is even just an American thing, but there is a a, a bloodlust bordering on death wish in a lot of humanity. 
Sure. I think there's a fascination with getting as close to death as you can. Um, and movies can do that. And I f- have always found that to be a positive and therapeutic thing yeah. for me. But I guess I'm coming back to the idea of maybe some people can't separate the difference or can't like step out of one world and into the other. So many years ago, I worked for uh, a, co- a post-production house and we were doing post-production on Watchmen. And sorry, post-production on the special features of Watchmen. And one of the things that we did was a little special feature about quote unquote real life superheroes, people that design their own costumes Uh and they go and fight crime. Now, I don't remember exactly what they do, but like I saw interviews with them, like these are real people that do this. And while you, and so, and I, I feel bad, you know, looking down on them, but you know what? I don't feel that bad about it. Um, But that's the thing is you and I and probably most people look at movies and movie violence as cathartic and a way to engage with certain parts of our nature that we literally can't in life. I think other people, some people probably, you know, I... When I watch the Avengers, there's still a, there's still like the five year old kid in me that's like fuck yeah I want to be that I wish I were that powerful I wish I mm. could I wish I could be Hulk I wish I could be Captain America or Iron Man I wish I could be that but instead I'm just dumb old me uh, you know who's, uh, who <laughs> I've literally picked the least violent villain to surround myself with uh, and so that's and the Riddler for that's who the don't Riddler know. yes. Yeah. Um, and I was talking about you, David. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. It's there is an element of like exhilaration in movies that can be exhilarating. And if somebody feels that exhilaration whenever like Clint Eastwood kills somebody with his Magnum or the Punisher kills everybody with every gun, <laughs> um, then I don't know. It's that, you know, I recognize I can't be Hulk. Because that's not possible. I recognize that I can't be Captain America because that's not possible. For all intents and purposes, it is possible to be the Punisher. I see. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. You know. Um, and maybe I'm more because I never want to be a superhero, but I I want to be John Wick sometimes. Sure. I want to be that good without yeah. any superpowers. I want to be that good at killing people yeah. or fighting. Sure. Not necessarily killing people. Yeah. Although but he it, does kill pretty much everyone he comes <laughs> into contact with. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, that's the thing. We've said John Wick, Jack Reacher. I'd say the Taken movies are the same. The Bourne mm-hmm. movies are the same. Um, where it's just, we like the guy, we like to believe that we are the guy who, because the villains all have guns too, but we're better than they are. So we are like, and uh, it's almost like, all right, I can take out this villain. Uh, Let's look at it in real life. Uh, You know, a lot of people say that, well, if somebody at that club had a gun, if somebody at this place had a gun, whatever it is, uh, then this wouldn't be a problem. Now, there are instances where this has happened. Somebody in the room has a gun. They are there before the cops are there, and they actually do kill the person who is shooting people. There are multiple instances of this. It is out there, but by and large... You also, there are also instances where there's a crossfire started and people die. Now, an argument could be made that they are probably going to die anyway in some way. 
at least this is, uh, you know, somebody fighting for them. But nonetheless, I guarantee that in that moment, I don't want to say that the people that, that pulled out their gun and said, I'm going to stop this guy. I'm not think, I'm not saying that in the, that moment they're like, I'm just, I'm just like Jason Bourne. But I do think that in general, when we romantic, when we think about this situation, I think we romanticize it because of movies, because we picture slow motion. We picture the doves that I just mentioned. Yeah. We picture, you know, the guy who pulls out the gun is actually somehow more capable than the guy who uh, is is doing the mass shooting. I think that's the image we have in our head. I think it's very romanticized. Um, yeah, but I, I, don't we know it's romanticized? I think that's that's the problem. It's tough because we're talking, you and I are, well, look, we're better than most people, obviously, is the point I'm making, uh-huh. in that we are able to intellectualize things. But there are plenty of people out there for whom movies are almost purely emotional. Like they know what this movie made them feel and that's all that really matters. I mean, you have people who, who got depressed when they saw avatar because Pandora didn't exist and they wanted to live there. That's an emotional response. That's not an intellectual one. You know, that's, that's being depressed at the intellectual response, which is, well, yes, it doesn't exist. Uh, (laughs) and so like, that's the thing is, I think this is a, I'm not going to blame movies for gun violence, obviously. But what I will say is that. But then that's exactly what we're movies, not doing. Movies are surprisingly pro gun. Um, but I think, yeah, often like you mentioned Columbine earlier. I mean, the, the reaction in the media about movies after that was ridiculous. Yeah. Like movies, music, all yeah, these yeah. external things. Yeah. It was Marilyn Manson's fault. It was, uh, yeah, it was the matrix's fault. That was a big one. Cause yeah. that was a very violent movie that had just come out. Um, but see, the Matrix was uh, one of our. The Matrix was kind of like zombie movies are, which mm-hmm. is like a bloodlust fantasy because it's like, yeah, the bad guys are human, but they're not really human. Yeah. So you can kill as many of them yeah. as you want, and you can. And with zombie movies, it's like, and their heads can explode, like yeah. because they're not totally human. The gorier, the better. Yeah. Um, so we definitely have a, a bloodlust uh, in us, but what we're saying is. Not we're not saying that movies cause this. I right. think the point or the the idea that I want to explore is that it gets the other way around. That our that uh, art imitates life, inter- or art reflects inner life. I guess is what I'm sure. saying. This is um, how we think of ourselves. Um, and you made a great point earlier about all the uh, major turns in our national history mm-hmm. um that are thought of as you know net good um, that were caused by uh yeah. made possible with guns um uh i'd be very glib and facetious when yeah. i say that i um, please don't uh, hate me for yeah. that because that was a joke um uh so so yeah um the the movies are violent because because we are but there is, and I think this is more, uh, again, an ability, uh, a tendency to be more um, emotional or um, reaction, reactionary than intellectual. There's also a difference in the way that we categorize violent movies. I remember you and I talked, one of the first episodes we ever did 
was about violence in movies. It might, I think it was episode one. Yeah. Um, and it's probably terrible and I don't ever want to go listen to it again. Um, but one thing you and I talked about, and this was nine years ago at this point, um, was that we find ourselves becoming more sensitive about violence Yes, in, in movies. Um, and that's in, in, uh, increasingly been true of me, um, except in movies like John Wick. I'm just going to keep using John Wick sure. as an example because it's an easy one. Um, that are so purely fantasy that I don't yeah. care. But um, The Hateful Eight, on the other hand, is something that I have a tough time with. Uh, even though that is a movie that is so much about what we're talking about. It's about America and violence. Yeah. Um, and, but, and that's, and what's weird for me is that so many of those characters now they do take on depth, but so many, they are such caricatures and such archetypes. And one could say that they're almost cartoonish in the way they present themselves. And yet somehow I am still tremendously bothered when Samuel Jackson kills Damien Bashir mm-hmm. and shoots him twice in the chest. He's dead. But Samuel Jackson isn't done with him yet. He then shoots two bullets into his head and we see his face blow apart and cease to exist. Yeah. And that is so disturbing to me. Even it's one though, thing when it's Hitler and Inglorious Bastards because Hitler is a... Yeah. He's a... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not even Hitler at that point. He's a metaphor for... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and... But, but and that's the thing is even then, I guess we by that time we haven't seen... Yeah, we haven't seen Bob kill Sweet Dave yet, mm-hmm. uh, but we know that he's capable. He, he's responsible for something, and we don't like that. But uh, but yeah, I when I was younger, oh, the gorier the better, and I still I don't shy away from gore, but I am definitely it like weighs on me. Well, here's something that I want to point out that it's not just us feeling this way. Movies or. Here's the thing. I remember back when we lived together in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, noting with the, with the Bourne movies mm-hmm. um, that it felt like it became, it was becoming easier and easier to get away with um, violence that is upsetting and keep a PG-13 rating. Hmm. Part of that might have been me becoming more sensitive, but it's actually true. Okay. I looked it up. Okay. Um, and according to a 2013 study done, uh, published in the American Academy of Pediatrics, their um, uh, gun violence in PG-13 movies has tripled in the 30 years the PG-13 uh, rating has existed. Um, it, movie, we, we seem to have... Uh, this is a point made by movies like... Uh, what was the... Um, this film is not yet rated. Right. Um, that the American morality system is more okay with violence than with uh, things like sex or even like dirty language or whatever, which seems crazy. Um, We talked about Jack Reacher earlier, which the opening sequence of Jack Reacher is one of the most disturbing things uh, I've seen in a movie. And that's a PG 13 movie. Like I, it seems like this checklist of what makes an R rated movie is is off because if I feel the way that I do as a grown man at the end of the opening sequence of Jack Reacher, that should probably be an R rating. I think um, that should not be Jack Reacher is PG thirteen. Seriously, yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs> and wait, y- are you a hundred percent sure? Yes, because I just looked it up just before I made that point. I just double checked just to be sure. Um, and it's the same reason 
that the dark Knight is PG 13, right? Which, uh, also shouldn't be because it's incredibly disturbing, mm-hmm. uh, the violence in that movie, yeah. but there's almost no blood. That's the thing. And that speaks to something That's, that bothers yeah, the hell out of me. The Go Joker ahead. shoves a pencil through a guy's eye. Yeah. Eraser first. Yeah. And kills him. But because we don't see any blood or we don't see the eye, you know, explode or whatever. Yeah. Still PG 13. Yeah. We'll be fine. Um, same with, uh, same with the opening sequence of Jack Reacher, which I, t- to this day, I think the internet's wrong. I think it's rated <laughs> R. Um, it's rated R in my heart. Uh, but that's what bothers me so much is that the same thing that keeps this violence PG 13 is the exact thing that I think is most damaging about it is that, and one of the reasons why, you know, in episode one of battleship pretension, when we're talking about movies that do violence, right? Uh, history of violence was at the top of my list because that is insanely bloody. It's PG. It's, it's a hard R obviously, but like it's insanely bloody and it's disturbing. Like that is a movie where violence does fix things, but it's horrible. Like I, I don't like anything that's happening. I don't feel any kind of uh, excitement at the, at, uh, Viggo Mortensen's character killing people, even, even though he's protecting his family. Like, it's just, I don't, it all makes me feel bad. And that's what blood will do. If you have somebody, if you shoot someone and you see maybe the slightest bit of blood or even none, uh, then it's just, it, it's basically consequence free. This is a bit off topic, but history of violence is something I think about that because as bloody as that movie is, it earned its R and risked an NC 17 before it even got bloody yeah. because it dared to show a man going down on his wife. Yeah. That's infuriating to me. Cause that's not like, I do think certain, certain, uh, types of sex should not be in PG 13 movies. If sure. it's degrading or dehumanizing or, you know, messing with some, uh, psychological kinks or areas that maybe a young mind isn't okay with. Sure. But a man and a woman who are married and in love with each other, having uh, fulfilling and exciting sex that's yeah. equally giving. Why can't a 14 year old see that? Come on. I don't. <laughs> now they do quickly go into the 69 position. Yeah. So maybe it's that, but even but so fine. whatever, like, yeah. yeah, these are two like people in their f- 40s you know like maybe that's the issue yeah. they're like hey you turn those into a couple of 20 somethings and now we're yeah, talking there you go um okay um oh anyway so all that was to say that actually goes back to something that bothered me forever ago about the concept of clean flicks and what bothers me now about this service vid angel is you have the option of taking away like gore. And I remember watching that documentary clean flicks where there was this guy in his early twenties and he was renting a couple of gangster movies as guys in their early twenties want to do. And so he rented like Scarface and some other thing. And he was saying like, he's like, Oh, finally I get to watch these movies. And I was just like, but you're watching them. You're watching gangster movies with, without any of the consequence of the gangster lifestyle. And while I think Scarface is not good, uh, I think you want to watch like Goodfellas and like Martin Scorsese is a guy who won't shy away from violence, but definitely, uh, is interested in the price that it exacts on the human soul. And if you take away the consequence of that, then all you're seeing is this is, Hey, this is pretty great. Right. Problem solved in a lot of ways. And I feel like that's what happens when you take blood away from like multiple gunshot wounds in a movie. Um, it's, it's all the, even if it's a bad guy doing it, it's like, well, it's not that bad. Yeah. The guy's dead, but what does that even mean physically? Right. You know, it goes yeah. back to what you were talking about with, um, 
roots uh, when we were talking the, in the movie journal. The movie journal, yeah, is that by really focusing, and this is partially what Passion of the Christ does, by really focusing on the physical toll that this took on the on the victims, mm-hmm. uh, you really come to have an appreciation for just how horrendous this thing is, whether it be a whip or a gun. And that is something that a movie like History of Violence really gave me. Yeah. Although he doesn't always use a gun. Sometimes it's worse. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I guess we can start moving. We've, we've been going an hour. We can start moving toward uh, wrapping up a little bit. But um, I don't know. I I don't want to sound like, I'm trying to fight for an excuse for myself to keep enjoying action movies. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't think you need an excuse. Cause like, um, there's, a, have you ever been on, no, I know we all know about IMDb. Yes. Have you ever been on IMFDB? No. The internet that? movie firearms database oh. where you can look up pretty much any movie and see which guns were used by which characters in which scenes. Oof, um, okay. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It makes me a little uncomfortable, but that's fine. Okay. See, I feel like that should be okay to be nerdy about that kind of thing. Um, Oh, see. Okay. All right. I see it as not nerdy. Like the reason it gets to me is I picture some, some amorphous guy that we're talking about who looks at a, a really violent gun movie and says like, I want to be just like that, but I can only do it if I use the exact gun he uses. <laughs> only one way to look that up. Yeah. That's that's not not a nerd standpoint, right. but like a psychopath standpoint is, which uh, probably maybe has never happened. Yeah, that's like um, Samuel Jackson and Jackie Brown talking about. Ever since the killer came out, yeah. everyone wants two guns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I enjoy the, that website. I enjoy reading about. John Wick and the uh, center axis relock tactical uh, um, positioning, which mm-hmm. is the fact that John Wick um, um, holds his gun close to himself, not out, and turns mm-hmm. with his whole body as he shoots. That's yeah. a like tactical uh, thing called center axis relock that I uh, looked up after I watched John Wick because I'm yeah. interested in this kind of stuff. Um, Just the way Jack Reacher throws elbows instead of fists. Uh-huh. That's a very specific uh, martial art, the name of which I don't recall. But, uh, huh. yeah. Yeah, see, I, I like that stuff. And I don't want to feel guilty for liking that stuff, but at a certain point, like, um, should I? Like, should I feel like I'm indulging it? Or should I, out of principle, not go see PG-13 movies that are uh, heavy on gun violence? Well, there are a few principles here. One is that you're a film critic and <laughs> right. that you that we are supposed to talk about these. Um, but that is interesting because I thought you were going to head down the path of, do I not see ultra-violent movies? But you actually went, and my thought was going to be like, well, no, of course, you're, you're fine. But you actually went to what I'm talking about, which is, Making a, a violent movie without any of the obviously again a character drops down dead, but it doesn't look like or sound like the way it would in life, and so it can't help but see guns as a very simple and easy and useful tool to uh, make the hero the hero. Um, obviously, I'm simplifying a little bit. Uh, I don't think you should. Even if you weren't a, a, a semi-professional film critic, <laughs> um, 
I would say don't, you don't need to feel bad about it. Um, but I think, so, okay, here's a weird analogy. Uh, and I'm not, and I can't go into a, a great deal of detail, but like, so Jen and I have uh, been going to marriage counseling for a while and, and we constantly worry about turning out like, you know, our parents, everybody worries about that. Um, and one thing that our therapist said, he said, well, he goes, obviously you're going to fall into certain patterns, but the fact that you're here and have been coming here consistently is already a huge step in the right direction to not becoming that. Like there is something to be said for awareness and self-awareness. Like the fact that we are doing this episode, the fact that you are asking these questions, it doesn't necessarily excuse you. Uh, it doesn't, it does not that you need necessarily an excuse, but like it shows that you're already conscientious enough to go into these and recognize that could have been done better or, Oh, that had a, that had the effect on me or, Oh, this is pure wish fulfillment for the audience or this is pure fantasy. I'm able to recognize this. Um, I feel like, and again, it's hard not to sound elitist about this, but there, the, maybe not the same people, but the same people who want to live on Pandora, (laughs) maybe they're the people that should stay away from some of these movies. Not because they're, I don't think they're going to go out and buy a gun, but like people who, for whatever reason, get allow themselves to get so invested emotionally in these movies. And there's nothing wrong with emotional investment, allowing themselves to get so emotionally invested that they start to see that maybe, maybe the, the way to put it is my life would be better as a movie. And one way that I know I can make that happen is with this. I can give myself more agency. I can give mm-hmm. myself more power. And suddenly I am the protagonist of my own life. That might be an oversimplification, but it's, but uh, I think that's what well I put. just thought it. Um, no, I think that's, that's very well put. Um, I don't think that, um, just like, uh, prohibition didn't stop people from wanting to drink. Right. I don't think if we stop making violent movies, America is going to become less violent right? because we are human um, and, uh, <laughs> and we need to be loved just like everyone else does. Sure. Um, no, uh, <laughs> um, uh, so the, 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 sol- there's not a solution here, but right. maybe the idea here is not to um, try to tamp down the violence in our nature, but to make us examine it. Yeah. Uh, a, a little more closely to take it more seriously and to embrace nuance. That's the thing. That's what gets me about basically anything political, but like anytime this happens, I mean, we need to make sure not to, we need to try not to be numb. And we, and for me, I have to try not to jump to an impotent rage at the world, nor like, you know, if I might get political for a moment, but more just kind of, decrying the general tone of things you know there are people who say it's like well you can't just blame obama about this and then that person will turn around and say well the republicans are to blame obviously <laughs> you know uh you can't just blame the nra you can't just blame hollywood you can't just blame whatever belief system a particular shooter happened to have you can't just blame their parents you can't just blame any one thing 
it's easy to blame one thing. Right. And nine times out of 10, the one thing you wind up blaming, maybe 10 times out of 10, by wacky coincidence, happens to be the thing that you're not on board with. Um, and so I would say the more you embrace nuance, the more you'll probably start to see the faults in your own side and in your own philosophy. But I think, because I think you're right, and I think that is uh, something by which I try to live my life. In the meantime, though, embracing nuance doesn't stop this from happening again in the short term. In the short term, if there are things that we can do, if there are uh, policies we can enact, um, like the uh, the one that the uh, Democratic senators were filibustering about, which was not about taking everyone's guns away. Right. It was about what we're talking about, certain people. Um, who have certain histories or have found themselves on certain lists, maybe yeah. maybe it's not so easy for them to get guns. I know that's a short-term solution to what we're talking about as being a psychological systemic problem. Yeah. But honestly, a short-term, a Band-Aid solution that saves another 50 lives might be worth it to me. That's where I am now. That's why my views on guns are changing because um, my... Uh, I have to be pragmatic because I can't stand standing by my ideals is not worth uh, 49 dead people in Orlando. And I think pragmatism is, is the name of the game here because I think, I think you've always been maybe more pro gun than I am. Uh, (laughs) I'm the one who's scouring the IMFTB and reading about center axis relock and uh, which movies have the best CGI muzzle flashes and which (laughs) movies have the correct shell casings coming out after the uh, machine gun. Um, I am the one who is fascinated by that kind of stuff. There's only one gun I've ever wanted and that's the one that Jesse Ventura has in predator, obviously, (laughs) Um, which I think they created for the movie. Um, So, uh, but yeah, it's, I think, Nobody is saying like, let's take all the guns away. Even well, some people are saying that <laughs> some people are saying that and those, n- nobody's taking those people seriously, hopefully. Um, because that's where I actually, where I actually start to think of prohibition. Um, because a lot of conservatives, like I see them making arguments about, uh, about like, well, what about cars? Cars are responsible. For, it's like cars aren't inherently destructive. They can be destructive, but they are not meant for that. Right. Guns are meant to destroy but also alcohol is poison. Like if you drink too much of it, it's a problem Mm -hmm. in any number of ways. And so, and it's also responsible. You want to talk about domestic violence, not to mention drunk driving, not to mention just alcoholism in general and, and and like dying of cirrhosis of the liver and just, you know, alcohol poisoning and that kind of thing. Like alcohol is responsible for a lot of death. Uh, because it's an, and why shouldn't it be? It's inherently destructive. It is poison you're drinking. Uh, and the key is to not drink enough poison to die. (laughs) Once you figure that out, problem solved. And so I don't mean to make a, a clear line between the two, but we did see what happened when you, when prohibition started, uh, and it just changed the nature of, it just changed the nature of, of what it looked like to drink in the country. So that said, the idea of taking all the guns away, I think is unconstitutional, but also I think it's not pragmatic, but at the risk of betraying my conservative, uh, uh, principles, I do. And this is where me not being a gun person comes into play 
where the idea of why would anybody ever need an AR-15? And is it a function? But that's the thing. Is it a function of need? Well, obviously nobody needs one, but what if somebody simply wants one and they're a law-abiding citizen? Like this is what kills me. I go back and forth on it. But, but you mentioned you're not being as pro-gun, but the, the statistic that keeps coming up and has come up since uh, at least since uh, Sandy Hook, if not before, and I can't remember the exact number, but that the NRA leadership doesn't even represent on a lot of these issues the bulk of the NRA membership, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to um, not types of guns like you're talking about, but when right. it comes to types of people, essentially sure. people on terrorist watch lists, people with violent uh, uh, histories yeah. uh, and histories of mental illness. A lot of the NRA membership is actually okay with those people not having guns. The, sure. the leadership is more extreme than the, the body politic. And this is where the libertarian in me comes out because there's on Facebook, I'm an, um, I'm a member of a number of libertarian groups as well. And there are a lot of people on there are people that I See, believe in. Your libertarian groups are my IMFDB. I'm a little bit libertarian. Sure, sure. Not as much as you, though. Yeah, it would appear not. Uh, <laughs> Gary Johnson, 2016, I guess. Uh, anyway, so, and for them, the issue is if somebody, be, somebody being on a terrorist watch list does not make them a terrorist, it does not make them convicted or anything like that, we are simply, they are simply under suspicion. They could be under suspicion for literally no reason. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, like, do we deny them that? Do we not deny them this simply because they're under suspicion? You know? uh, yeah, and then get the, this goes to the uh, idealism thing I'm talking about because yeah. I totally understand that. That's Ex- the part of me that is libertarian where, yeah. totally 100% understands that. Um, but I also think if this guy in Orlando had purchased his ar-15 on the black market illegally we could be moving on to other conversations sure. right now you know what i mean sure that would be you know hopefully he wouldn't have been able to he wouldn't have been able to get his hands hands on it um right. and would have had a, a a less high capacity um gun or something like that but if he did then we could fix other problems uh, right. or, or at least focus on other problems as well yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's hard for me to know where my personal ideals come in and where pragmatism comes in um you know uh there's a there is a republican congressman named uh, thaddeus mccotter who i think he was quoting somebody else when he said the politics is the art of the possible mm-hmm. and i don't mean to speak purely in politics but it's just like it's the art of the possible it's not merely what should be done nor is it it's what can be done and you know there obviously there's no there is no magic button you can push that will fix all of this you can't change human nature you know i don't think you should take away all the guns like gun violence is never going to go away um i looked at like a number of like the statistics about mass shootings they do fall into what you're talking about but a lot of them are like a convenience store robbery gone wrong, which is notably different than somebody walking into a movie theater. Like, still not something we should be okay with. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. But there's yeah. difference. There's difference between an intent to kill and this went badly, and I wasn't intending it, but here we are. But it still is possible because the person had a gun. Um, but it, but yeah, at the same time, there is a joke that I do enjoy. I'm not totally on board with it. It's okay. just a joke. I'm not sure this is the time for a joke. No, no, no. It, it has to do with this idea of somebody being on a list means uh-huh. they shouldn't get this. Uh, 
Hillary Clinton, and I know you're pro-Hillary, and that's fine. I don't, I don't begrudge you that. Um, I plan to vote for Hillary, yes. Interesting phrasing. We'll have to follow up <laughs> on that after, after we're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she came out and said, if you are being investigated by the federal, by the FBI, you should not be able to purchase a firearm. And I was like, you're under investigation by the <laughs> FBI, and you want access to nukes. <laughs> You know, like, <laughs> I'm not the first person to think that. And maybe it's without, without, uh, reason, but who's, to, you know, like I find that very funny. Uh, and, that, that, and it's no, it's no oversimplification, obviously, here. but, but yeah. um, we've done the battleship retention thing. We talked around a subject. We got toward some, uh, resolutions and then we diffuse them. <laughs> so that's, yeah, we uh, have arrived nowhere. That's the, that's the battleship retention way. This is how we deal with grief. What yeah. do you think of that? Yeah. And I don't mean to say we are not actually. The nation is grieving. Yes. I as as an American. Yes. Am, am grieving. But compared of course to the loved ones of the people that died. Yes. It's not even comparable. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I'm sorry that we made so many jokes throughout the episode. It's, uh, I will say for me, that is a coping mechanism. 100%. I think our <laughs> listeners probably know that by now. Uh, probably. Yeah. Probably are like-minded people. <laughs> um, so, uh, is there any business we need to take care of? I don't think so. I'm fine with, uh, okay. Skipping usual stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 